Welcome, Dennis Stewart. Greg Richard here with you today. Good to see you, Greg. Good to see you. Likewise. This is a bit yeah. of a first for us. So. I think it might be. We've reflected on that, and I think you're right. I think this is the first time. <laughs> always the first time. Please be gentle, please. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dennis, with the passing of the Queen last night, yeah. you mentioned a little bit earlier to me off, off air yes. about the history of the royal family with natural therapy. Yes, we'll talk about that in a moment, but... The monarch has always been a great supporter of what I would call uh, alternative medicine or unusual medicine. Yep. And uh, to an extent, uh, natural medicine, uh, herbal medicine particularly, probably survives in uh, Commonwealth countries, particularly those still under the crown, because of the sport, support that it uh, had going right back to Henry VIII. We'll talk about that. It's fascinating, particularly when you look at the way in which he uh, was helped greatly with herbal medicine. And starting us all off today, we've got Dawn from Taro, and she's got a question about hair loss. Hello, Dawn. Hello. Hello, Dawn. Uh, Hi, Hi, Dennis. I was just ringing, inquiring Mm. about what you were talking to Betty about last week for hair loss, and you recommended something, and she rang in to say how successful it was, and I missed what the answer was. (laughs) The first thing I would say, Dawn, is that this is no guaranteed cure for all hair loss. What I'm I going, understand because that. Yeah. you would appreciate that hair loss can be associated with with anything from uh, chemotherapy through to aging, through to stress, through to whatever. But having said that, I have always uh, encouraged, particularly women um, who uh, who are concerned about an accelerating uh, loss of hair, to to try a little technique yes. that I've found useful over the years. Um, yes. Now it's it's a three pronged thing. Um, but um, I spoke last week about a group of remedies known as celloids, C-E-L-L-O-I-D-S. Now, let me explain that. They are a range of mineral supplements developed by the founder of Blackmore's, Morris Blackmore, many years ago. Uh, He wrote a textbook on them, and Blackmore still manufacture for practitioners, practitioners only, the range of products known as celloids, and one of those celloids is a particular preparation of silica. And the code that is given for that remedy in the celloid spectrum is S79. Now, that doesn't mean much to you, but as a practitioner, when we uh, research uh, silica in the celloid literature, it always comes up under that coding, S79, or a particular preparation of silica. Now, having said that, Uh, Rarely on its own does it do the job. Sometimes it does, but rarely does it do the job. And by the way, if one is going to use what are called the mineral therapy uh, known as celloids, one has to work with it a a number of months. That's pretty well standard for it. However, many, many years ago, I think just still as practicing in those days at Broadmeadow, we began to use an amino acid called tyrosine, T-Y-R-O-S-I-N-E, tyrosine. Now, it's, read, it's readily available from health food stores and pharmacies or my rooms at New Lambton, wherever, and it proved to be a very good companion to silica, the celloid down as silica. And the third plank of the treatment, which I only use uh, if the uh, first two options are not doing much, is the use of a South Asian herb, that is a herb from India, that is known as Bringaraj. I mentioned that last week, and I won't try to spell it, but botanically, mm-hmm. botanically, it's known as Eclipta, E-C-L-I-P-T-A, Eclipta alba. 
and in South Asia, in in uh, in India in particular, it's traditionally known as Bringaraj, which means ruler of the hair. And as the the main remedy that's used in that society or culture to address hair conditions, including loss of hair. So there's a three-pronged approach. I would suggest that you try uh, the silica preparation from the celloids, which you would, would have to get from a practitioner, maybe a pharmacist or a naturopath or someone like myself yes. that stocks it. Uh, give that a go for a while. But it's, it's useful also to, to use the tyrosine amino acid, which is a nutritional supplement, very, very economical and very, very safe. Uh, I would recommend that as a starting base. Work with that for a number of months and think finally, if you're not getting anywhere with any indication of the, the falling of the hair lessening, uh, think of the, the third member of the team known as Eclipta yes. Alba. Okay, thank you. That's a start. But let me come back to the point, Dawn. I, I would hate to develop a reputation around the town as someone who can, who can uh, treat all cases of, uh, of hair loss. <laughs> I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be a good example of it, I can assure you. But with, with women in particular, there would be many women in this town that would, would bless me because I have helped them um, work against this problem. Okay, well, thank you very much for that. Okay, Dennis. Dawn, good on you. Thank you. Thank you, Dawn. We've got John from Blacksmiths, and he's got mild, is it hypertension and plant nitrates. Hello, John. Hi there. So you've got mild blood pressure, have you? Yeah. Okay, yes. yeah. And uh, I've been reading recently about plant nitrate, nitrates, particularly red spinach, uh-huh. uh, and uh, I was wanting to know if you had any uh, kind of supplement uh, that I could look at as well. Now, are you implying that um, that that red spinach may have a nitrate compound in it that has some antihypertensive effect? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, John, um, I'm not aware of uh, any uh, literature, there may well be some, or of any practice that would uh, see that as being valid. Uh, and yeah. I'm not knocking it in any way. If there was some literature there that was, was credible or had been used by our tradition for a for a fairly long period of time, I would uh, be more competent to um, to say something about it. All, the, yeah. all that I would say, John, is this, and you would appreciate what I'm going to say, uh, blood pressure is blood pressure. And yeah. it, uh, it's one of those silent diseases. These days, <laughs> these days, in my opinion, mainstream medicine uh, is the only option, the only right. option to address this problem confidently. I will retreat on this and say, I will retreat on this and say, uh, there is a very, very well-known South Asian herb known as Rewolfia serpentina. Now, it is the basis of uh, um, an antihypertensive medication that was used even in this country up until 20, 30 years ago. It was uh, known, I think it was known as Rodixin, and it was manufactured by Squibb. I think, I think, but um, I can't, uh, I can't vouch for that. But um, it ceased to be used, so I can't understand why, uh, because it's very, very reliable. And in South Asia, it would be one of those, um, one of those uh, remedies that would be popularly used, uh, because people can't access some of the uh, remedies that we do. 
So yeah. there, there are herbs that have antihypertensive characteristics. Rewolfia is the best documented one. Um, yeah. However, I come back to the point that the medications used today in our society, um, they're what I encourage. They're superior. Yeah, okay. Look, thank you very much for that. The other thing that I had read was yes. that uh, green vegetables are also... Um, helpful with hypertension but you've got to eat a lot of them yeah look i think um the the emphasis there would be perhaps that some of these vegetables um can have somewhat of a, a diuretic effect and oh, okay, as, yeah. as a result of that in very moderate um blood pressure conditions might yeah. have an effect. Uh, diuretics are popularly used in mainstream medicine as part of uh, blood pressure management, um, yeah. particularly mild hypertension. There may be something in that. Uh, and look, yeah. um, I'm always open, John, as you would imagine, uh, open to new ideas, new possibilities. Okay. You would have heard me talk in recent times about... I, I do, I listen almost okay. every time. Well, you, you would have heard me talk about Java kidney tea and my enthusiasm yeah. for that has grown mm -hmm. only over in the last 10 years or so. Uh, prior to that, I would not have known anything about it, would never have used it. Now I can t consider it as one of the most remarkable remedies in Southeast Asia to address right. what I call the failing kidney. And also, yeah, as I've I... mentioned on the program, something that's now being looked at from the point of view of addressing uh, early dementia. So I'm open to oh. an expanding information base. In fact, one of the fascinating things, John, that I should say is that during this 40-year, 50-year journey of mine in herbal medicine, the great thing about it is one never stops learning and there is right. always something there because I'm one of these people that have a theological worldview that, that, that believe that the good Lord has put all the answers to human health there. We just have to find them. I totally agree. Look, thank you very much for that. Uh, I'll see what I can find out, and if I find out something positive, I'll pass it on that to you. That would be lovely, John. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Now, Dennis, the top here you mentioned about mm. alternative health in the royal family. That's oh, a radical sort of topic to talk a, about, isn't it? But look, It's a little bit different, but it started way back with Henry VIII. It did indeed. And look, it is no, it is no secret that even though I have quite a radical background and are probably still <laughs> radical, I am actually a supporter of the monarchy. And one of the reasons is that it's always, certainly in my opinion and my reading, been a great supporter of what is loosely referred to as alternative medicine. Yep. Uh, and one of the, uh, the great starting points of this um, is evidenced. If you come into my rooms at New Lampton, you'll find uh, a beautifully um, framed um, document that was written up um, at the time of Henry VIII, and it's known as Henry VIII's Charter. And it's a charter protecting the rights and practices of herbalists. Okay. And interestingly, it is still used to some degree to protect the history, the rights, and the skills of medical herbalists, certainly in countries still under the crown. Yep. Uh, not so much in the United States. Yep. For years, they banned the practice of herbal mm -hmm. medicine. Under the crown, it's always been permissible for persons to practice uh, herbal medicine, even though they may not be so-called doctors. And this goes back to a very interesting mm -hmm. incident that you've touched on, good King Henry VIII. 
Now, what I mean, that man has quite a dubious reputation. <laughs> we won't go into how many wives uh, he was uh, able to... He was quick to, on the axe as well. He, he was is. quick <laughs> on the axe. But anyway, um, if you have ever watched the series of well, six, seven, eight, ten wives of Henry VIII that was on yep. television, you'll find that his last wife is shown actually bathing his swollen edematous and ulcerative legs. And it was not a bad shot, actually, because the, the, the person playing the part must have had a lot of common... Anyway, his swollen edematous legs had a lot to do with his dubious background. In, in, in We won't yeah. indicate what sort of background yeah. it was. But he had these ulcers. And ulcers are difficult things um, to, to cure at the best of times. And uh, what this uh, dear lady, his last wife, did was to bathe his ulcers and use a particular herb which over a period of time lessened the infection and closed the ulcers. And as a result of that, he gave the charter to herbalists because up to that point, all that he'd got from mainstream medicine was was being bled, which was a very popular technique in those days. If, yep. you, if you can't cure, get a scalpel and open, get some blood out of the system. So all he had prior to that, I'm being a little bit shocked, but pretty mm. correct, was ongoing bleeding by the, the so-called profession okay. of that stage and, of course, the Le use of leeches. Leeches, leeches. But <laughs> that, did, that didn't resolve his problem. But... His dear last wife resolved, so it is said, the ulcerative condition of his legs, and he was so impressed, pleased with the result, that at a time when even then lay practitioners such as herbalists were being hounded and prosecuted and put down by mainstream medicine, he gave the charter. So anyone wanting to look at it, if you go to my rooms, you'll see it in the waiting room. It's a beautiful uh, bit of, um, uh, what would you call it? Well, writing to start with, yep. and um, it, it's it's worthwhile reflecting on it because uh, history has a lot to contribute to to our society, and herbal medicine is the oldest system of medicine going right back to the Book of Genesis, really. Mm. Um, and fortunately, in English-speaking countries, countries still under the crown, uh, it's still permissible to practice. In fact, herbal medicine is is as I've said on this program before. Uh, is undergoing a renaissance. We talk of the herbal renaissance that took place all over the English-speaking world. Mm. And, um, yeah, so he was cured by a, uh, his last wife using a particular herb. Now, of course, you want to ask me what that herb yeah, well, was. I'm, then. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to ask. <laughs> I got sidetracked by the leeches in my head. But, I did, yeah. yeah. I might just say before I address this, uh, just reinforcing the point that I'm making about the, the acceptance of herbal medicine and its recognition mm. by the establishment, um, the, the the monarchy gave to the uh, National Institute of Medical Herbalists in the United Kingdom its own coat of arms, which hangs in the Hall of Arms, I'm told, in Edinburgh. Oh, yeah, right. And uh, practitioners such as myself uh, are entitled to hang the coat of arms, right. and I've, I hang it in my rooms as further indication of what I call the support well, of a great institution. <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to watch your interests, haven't you? But anyway, anyway, the herb that um, is put down uh, that resolved his problem was basically the herb calendula. 
which is uh, Marigold, Greater Marigold. Oh, yeah. Most uh, most people would know of Greater Marigold. And in in herbal medicine today, it's interesting. Calendula is still popularly used for wounds and sores, uh, ulcerative conditions, because it has two characteristics. It's a wound healer, that is, it promotes tissue granulation, but it also has what we call antimicrobial characteristics, that is, it fights infection. So modern analysis of greater marigold or calendula indicates that there is somewhat of a basis to its use that resolved Henry's condition and led to the protection of herbalists. It's just one of many. Interestingly, and I think I've mentioned this before, one of the great, uh, how can I call them, medical exponents of uh, herbal medicine, particularly uh, during the 20th century, in the early part of the 20th century, was the medical practitioner, Dr. Dorothy Shepherd. Now, I'll pause there and say that name again, Dr. Dorothy Shepherd. Here was a medical professional. Interestingly, many doctors have embraced herbal and homeopathic medicine. Yep. Dorothy Shepherd was one of them and wrote a remarkable book that I've lectured from and, and accessed all my professional life called The Physician's Posy. I'll say it again because I know listeners try to get these books. The Physician's Posy by Dr. Dorothy Shepherd. And in that book is one of the best articles you will ever read on a relatively modern application of calendula preparations, lotions, creams and ointments. Dorothy Shepard's book, The Physician's Posy, supporting what the last wife of Henry VIII did <laughs> as a useful herb to address wounds and promote healing. It's fast. I'm learning so much today, Dennis. Are you really? I'm really well, am. you'll need to hang around a bit. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Rob from Bolton Point who has prostate cancer and he wants to know if oyster extract tablets are all right to use. Hello, Rob. Yeah, g'day, mate. How are you? Well, indeed. How can we help you, Rob? Oh, I don't have prostate cancer. I, I went, I went through prostate cancer good, and good. Uh, had the operation and everything. Good. So, well, you had a prostatectomy, did you? Yeah, prostatectomy. Yeah, yeah radically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long ago was that, Rob? Uh, that'd be eight years now, I suppose. Yeah, good. And you're travelling well now. Yeah, I'm travelling well. Good. good. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, when my mum was alive, she was right into herbs and stuff like that. And yes. Used to crank us up with them and that, and um, but she said something about oyster extract tablets, like like for helping that um, department sort of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, okay, look, um, that's a fairly vague um, claim. Um, oyster extract tablets. Uh, the first thing we'd have to to, to say there is um, there are oysters and oysters, mm. and and. Yeah. And the, a better way of discussing the, the topic would be to try to find out the botanical or the technical name uh, for the preparation, the, the extract. An, ex, an extract is an extract, and usually uh, it has a technical uh, modern name uh, that allows it to be accessed to, uh, to be read about and to be manufactured into, right. a, into a more standardised preparation. Uh, let me just say that I'm, I'm a great lover of oysters, full stop. Uh, and, and oysters, um, although I'm very disappointed at the price that one has to pay for them today, but I won't go there. Um, the the uh, thing about it is oysters are very rich in zinc. Mm -hmm. And um, th there's a, an argument to say that zinc has 
a great deal to contribute um, to prostate health and also to uh, support um, the immune system. So oh, it, it could be that that's the connection. It could be that that's the connection, but I've not heard of it. It it it. Uh, do you know whether or not it's a Chinese preparation? I I, I don't look. My mum mentioned it years ago. There, okay. and it's in my head, and I thought, well, I listen to you all the time. And yes, I thought, oh, yeah. Yes. Now, look. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I can't say much more than that. Again, mm. I never ever dispute and uh, ridicule um, uh, information that particularly are passed on by women. Women uh, have been some of the great bearers of traditional medicine wisdom. And uh, we should uh, not just overlook it. What I would suggest you do, however, Rob, particularly from my perspective and for yours, do a bit of rumbling around in the family archives and find out uh, just what your mum was referring to. And uh, we could take it further then. But you've caught me. I'm not sure that I know much about oyster extract tablets. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I just when she said there, they used to used to produce them in that, and uh, and and I it's just it just sort of stuck in my head, you know what I mean? And I just it's been bugging me for a few years now. So yeah, but you you were you contemplating using it uh, uh, for rather you than, rather than the hip, yeah rather than um, yeah. Are you, are you on are you on um, uh, medication at present? Are you? Uh, oh, just just uh, only. Only on a uh, new deer's basis, sort of thing, if you know what I mean. Not. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So you're you're basically talking about erectile dysfunction. Oh, correct. Yes. Correct. I thought so. Okay. I look. Want, I didn't want to say too much. Uh, oh, it's the most common condition <laughs> experienced by males who experience or who undergone uh, various mm. uh, prostate treatments. Mm. Uh, from that perspective, uh, there's a, a lot of anecdotal evidence to support that a diet rich in oysters has some benefits for the male and I won't elaborate too much but certain males would boast about their prowess and put it put it down to their addiction to oysters Um, and so this is probably what your dear mum was referring to that there may well have been a preparation uh, produced Uh, on oysters that purportedly uh, address this common problem that many males will experience, and that is erectile dysfunction. Maybe that's what she's talking about. Maybe, yeah. I, I, I don't rightly know, but, uh, yeah, like I said, it was just a question that just bugged me, and I thought, OK, well, I'll, I'll try and ask well, it. Well, why not uh, periodically pop into the co-op and uh, shout yourself a couple of dozen oysters every week and see the consequences of that, Rob? <laughs> I don't mind the oysters, so I might do that. <laughs> oh, I love him. I love him. In fact, my dear old dad, who's passed on, God bless him, he's a, a, he was born and raised in Stockton. And one of the things he taught us very, very early in our life was how to go along the, the Hunter River when it was reasonably clean in those days and collect oysters straight off the off the rocks and, yeah. uh, and shuck them and there eat them raw. And uh, it's the only way to eat oysters, in my opinion, is to get them fresh and to eat them raw. Well, my, when, when I was a kid, my father forced them down my throat there, and that just with a squeeze of lemon, of course, and yeah. and uh, I didn't really like them. But I got used to them. I loved them. Well, that's well, a, that's a very good point because my my youngest daughter, uh, when when she would come out to the to the restaurants, we'd inevitably um, order oysters, 
and she would order them, but she's the only person that I know uh, that would just sit there and chew them. And she used to do that. And later on in life, however, she can eat them without chewing them. But I used to just sit back in amazement. And she'd only be about oh, seven or eight. So I think that might have broken her in uh, to the uh, to the love for oysters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Then I'll, um, I'll try and do a bit of homework on it there and that. Yeah, well, look, um, as I say, don't um, don't overlook the wisdom of our of our mothers and grandmothers and the whole generation associated with 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 women. Oh no no no! I'm not overlooking it. There, yeah. she was. Um, oh, she was right into it. Like good, stinging nettle tea and. Oh well, and, she she knows something. If she's recommending stinging nettle tea, she she knew what she was talking about because I still uh, use a lot of stinging nettle in practice. I actually forage it and collect it on the Great North Road at, at uh, North Rothbury there. Um, it's still a remarkable remedy. So if Mum was doing that, uh, she's worthwhile uh, following up on the oyster extract. Yeah, I know it's a radio show, but she used to um, dry it out and, and, and actually smoke it. Yeah. Well, the, a lot of herbs have been used in that way, even some to address asthma. Oh, yeah, OK, right up. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah. In the way, she's, she's long gone now, like, uh, so... Yeah, but I just, uh, yeah, I decided to just bring up today out, uh, out of the blue and everything. And... Well, you're very welcome, Rob. It's been a good discussion, and I hope I've given you a, a little bit of help. You have, mate. You have, yeah. Good on you. We've got Sherry, Sherry from Maitland. She's got a question about osteoporosis. Hello, Sherry. Hi, how are you going? I'm very well. How can we help you? Um, recently, I decided to go and get a bone profile done. Yes, yes. I'm back. Yes. I uh, was aware. I think Edith Buttrose used to put ads in the woman's weekly or something like that. And uh, decided I'll, I might just check it out. Didn't have any side effects or anything happening. Very fit person, still swims through winter, um, three, what, 20 laps three times a week, yes. walk, Good. always looked after myself. Good. So got a negative 3.4, negative 3.6 on my hips and spine mm-hmm. with no fractures. And I looked at the Western medicine, which they were offering, and I just couldn't believe what I was going to be have to take, like prolia and other drugs. The side effects were just not for me in the long run. And I um, looked at naturopaths and the weight business with the exercise and all that. And then Chinese last night with um, advice on silica, uh, stinging nettle and dandelion and another one I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and just wondering what your opinion on uh, as far as fractures, what I could take more of a natural remedy. Okay, look, um, I don't um, put myself out there as an expert on bone disease to start with. Um, but many women who have been uh, shown to have uh, osteoporosis or osteopenia um, are concerned about um, the the medical option and I won't uh, comment on it either way but um, there's a, a number of things that uh, could be thought about and I'll mention them to you the first thing is there is a substance called allantoin A-L-L-A-N-T-O-I-N now allantoin was a well, still is a substance that was found in the herb comfrey, 
Now, Comfrey was known as Knitbone and had a reputation for being a herb that one could rely on for promoting uh, the healing of bones. It promoted uh, bone growth, bone strengthening and bone repair. So even though we can't use comfrey uh, these days, uh, we're not permitted to, uh, we can recommend Allantoin. I would suggest that you discuss or research Allantoin. It can be purchased as a powder. It's very inexpensive, very safe. Do some research on that, but also don't overlook the benefits that you've already mentioned about some herbs, particularly nettle and dandelion, as herbs that bring with them a lot of minerals that may, in a not well-explained way, promote some degree of bone health and bone strengthening. So think around those things. Allantoin from the herb comfrey. Comfrey can't be used, but allantoin a, 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 from the herb known as nitbone with a potential benefit in being able to address uh, osteoporosis, I say potential. So um, what about silica? Silica is a great uh, remedy also, and it's readily available or comes from the herb horsetail, uh, and that's why it's been popularly used. But silica, again, is an easily accessed a mineral supplement from your health food store, and it's also in the Blackmore's celloid range that I spoke about earlier in the program. Oh. So can that stop fractures? I'm not, this is where I'm not going to say this is an alternative to prolia or anything I'm saying, uh, that yeah. if one is looking for things that may be helpful, look around there, but always discuss what you're doing with your medical manager so that down the track when you have your next bone density thing, you can check whether or not you're wasting your time or whether it's doing something for you. But meanwhile, I could get a fracture though, couldn't I? Well, there are many people out there, many women out there with osteoporosis who don't know that they have it, and many of them don't have fractures. Uh, if you are aware of your osteoporotic condition, you certainly will take uh, better care of, uh, of what you do and, and make sure that you're more cautious about, uh, about walking and um, exercise and things like that. Yeah, because the thing is that I led a whole sporty life. I'm very strong. And I believed I had good calcium uptake. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was very nutritiously conscious yeah, of trying to. Yeah. And um, when I went through that part in my life where I got Hashimoto's, yes. everything changed. Yes. And um, I think that must have been that hormone that um, started working on yeah. me about 10 years ago. It could. Did you discuss that with your, um, your doctor or any of your medical managers? That's Sorry? Have you discussed that possibility with your with your, with oh, your doctor? Oh yeah, they, I went to an endocrinologist, yes. and um, she was the one that suggested prolia or yes, yes, the other one, yes. and I just couldn't believe the yeah. side effects. Mm. Oh, yeah. I just didn't want to go there. I thought you die taking the drug, or you die from <laughs> what you can think about in your reading is a substance called vitamin K two. Yeah. Read up on that. That's the last okay. I'm going to say. <laughs> Does that work with um, C, D and uh, calcium? Vitamin K2 is a, is a well-known vitamin. You research it and you'll see the interest that's being shown in it. Okay, cool. Okay. All right. Appreciate all your help, okay. Dennis. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Good. Bye. Hey, Rick.
Well, Dennis, we've nearly just about run out of time. Oh, what a pity. What a pity. I've just started to educate you. Yeah, <laughs> you have been. <laughs> the other occasions, my dear friend. I'll have to start sitting in every week from now on. Oh, well, <laughs> you might learn a little bit. Probably not much, but you'll learn something. Dennis Stewart, thank you very much. Thank we'll you, catch mate. you again Good next you, Friday.